Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Hello, friends. Jack, Flight School O'Brien here, uh, also known as Jack. Still can touch Ned if I get a running start and haven't eaten heavy breakfast. O'Brien, uh, both nicknames that I go by. Inviting you to check out Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties for a weekly basketball conversation with me and my co-host from the Daily Zeitgeist, Miles Gray. We are joined by comedians, writers, podcasters, and fellow NBA fans as we discuss the latest news and events from around the league. Check it out. Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Trana. Thanks so much for joining me another week. And uh, this is a good episode here because we're going to start things off with Andrew Marchand of the New York Post, sports media columnist. And we'll talk about Tony Romo. LeBron James and NBA ratings, ESPN Plus in the UFC business, CBS and the NFL rejecting a marijuana ad for the Super Bowl. Get into a bunch of media topics there. If you're one of the New Yorkers and Mike Francesa fans, we do a little bit on Mike uh, getting burned by the Todd Gurley jersey switch. So Andrew Marchand will kick things off and talk about the latest sports media news. And then after that, Alan Seppenwall, who has a new book out on The Sopranos. It's called The Soprano Sessions. The author will join us to talk about the show as it celebrates its 20th anniversary. We do a little reminiscing about the greatest show of all time. I should tell you that next week, uh, this podcast, which normally comes out on Wednesdays, will come out a day earlier. It'll be out on Tuesday. And you will hear an interview with Steve Carell. I'm not going to oversell it. He's not on for an hour. He's on for 15 minutes. But he was great. And we did discuss The Office. We talked about Specific episodes, uh, stress relief, basketball, uh, casino night, and Steve was very open about those episodes and shared some insight that I thought was great. So next week on the SI Media Podcast will be Steve Carell and TBD, but make sure you subscribe. Go into Apple and subscribe to the podcast so you get that Carell podcast delivered right to your device. Uh, Bill Walton was on last week. If you'd like to check that out, he was... Very interesting, to say the least. And uh, that's all I got to tell you about all that stuff. We're going to get right now into this week's show, 
Andrew Marchand up first on a variety of sports media news topics, and then Alan Sepinwall, the author on the 20th anniversary of The Sopranos. All right, joining me now, Sports Illustrated Media Podcast regular, with a lot to talk about today, New York Post sports media columnist critic, I, I forgot the exact wording, Andrew Marchand. Andrew, what's the title exactly? It's columnist. Columnist. Are you ever a critic? I am a critic. Okay, columnist, critic. Reporter, reporter. I, reporter. I, oh, I was going to say, I always think of you as a newsbreaker, because you're always out there breaking news, and you broke some news this week. Uh, good timing, by the way. We'll, we'll, now listen, we'll get to Mike and the Todd Gurley jerseys for everyone who's <laughs> tuning in for that much later at the end of this, but we've got to start with Romo. Uh, dominating performance on Sunday, as everyone knows, and then you have a column uh, on the New York Post website now saying that CBS wants to lock him up with a contract. His contract, current contract expires after next season. He's making $4 million a year this season. Wh- where do you want to start first? You want to start talking about how he performed Sunday or you want to deal with the contract first? I'll leave it up to you since you yeah, want to start. Why don't we start, you know, progress forward? We'll start All right, with so Sunday... Performance. Now, I... I Here's the th- the interesting thing about Romo was what he did in that second half on Sunday night. He had not really done most of the season. I know CBS, the, CBS had told no one will go on record admitting it, but CBS told him to cut back on the predictions about halfway through last season, and then he basically went ape shit on Sunday night and was predicting every play, which I love. I know there's a small patch out there. Hello, Chris Maddog Russo, who hates it. or, or think he, Russo thinks Tony talks too much. Some people don't like the predictions because they're dumb enough to think they're watching a movie and it's spoilers, even though it's a sporting <laughs> event. There's no such thing as spoilers. But what did you think of Romo on Sunday? I thought he was excellent. I mean, you know, I think the praise is justified. Yeah, could you nitpick it? Sure. But bottom line is forgetting the predicting the plays, which is impressive and is cool, the thing that I think makes him stick out is how enthusiastic he is about the game. Right. And that adds an energy to the environment that I don't think other guys do, um, you know, at the, at the present time. It's not that they don't love the sport, if you're talking about a Collinsworth or an Aikman, and they don't do good jobs because they do. But there's an energy that Romo brings that I think matches the viewer on – their sofa at home, you know, watching this game in that, you know, they, they feel that same excitement of what a game this is. And the big thing is, and I tweeted this the other day, is that his comments almost always are moving the broadcast forward instead of um, there's not a lot of lazy, it's third down and six from the 40. This is a big, you know, big play here. They need a first down. There's not a lot of that, which to me, you know, doesn't add anything. So he, he's almost always adding things. And Nance has smartly kind of, you know, got out of the way a little bit and let Romo be Romo, which has really made um, the broadcast thing. That's a, it's a really, really good take about Romo always going forward and not um, just rehashing. It's a really good take. I, I'll say one last thing on the prediction thing. You know, it's one thing for him to go out there and predict the play and say, they're going to throw to the left here, Gronkowski one-on-one, or, oh, there's motion right, that means they're going to run in the middle. It's one thing to do that, and it's another entirely different thing to be right every time. He was right every single time. That's impressive. Yeah, and it is impressive. I, I will say this, and this is also why 
you know, and I know ESPN makes a big deal about saying Jason Witten wasn't hired to be the next Tony Romo. We get it. But, of course, that's what they were hoping for, even though they'll say if it was a, you know, the long-term hire, and, and perhaps they're right. But, but, but the bottom line is he is a unique person in that he's a former quarterback. The league has changed over the last 20 years. So when you talk about an Aikman or a Collinsworth who wasn't a quarterback, it's changed. Offenses have changed. So, you know, guys like Romo or Dan Olofsky, how do you say his name? Dan Olofsky. Olofsky, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Dan. That's right. Um, but, but he does a great job, and I've given him a lot of credit. Just don't say his name. Anyways, when you look at guys like that who are coming off the field, they understand these offenses from a quarterback's point of view. And then with Romo, he's such a TV natural that you combine those two things, and that's what you got. You got Sunday. Right. And I also think, and I, this is what I wrote in my column on, on Monday, um, and I, I think the other appeal of Tony, you hit it on the head with what you said about, like, Aikman is good and Collinsworth is good. And I don't think those two specifically are like this, but there are a lot of analysts. I'll name one, Chris Spielman, for instance. Chris Spielman wants you to know he's smarter than you. You don't know anything about football. He's going to educate you, and he wants to show you how much he knows. And that's sort of how he treats the viewer. Whereas Romo is, Romo, you can picture doing what he's doing in a bar, you know, while he's drinking about 12 beers. No doubt. He just feels like you're hanging out with your buddies. And I think ultimately if you're an executive picking um, play-by-play guys or analysts, now the skills are a little bit different, but at the, at the minute point, you wanna, would I want to hang out and watch a game with this person? Um, and so you know, they, they first have to answer that question. And I agree. I'm not saying about Spielman directly. I don't, I don't have as much of an opinion on him as, as you do, but mm. If uh, if you feel like they're talking down to you, right. that's not a good. It's not a good feeling, or you know, it's not not good. And you're right, Romo. And I've been told he's a good guy. Um, you know, I, I've talked to him a few times, but I don't know him well enough to really have a, a true opinion. But uh, but he comes across as yeah, he's just a, a buddy out there. Yeah, he knows a little bit more, but he's not rubbing your face. And also, they do a good job. Nance does a good job of this. It's not every time Romo gets one right. You know, he says Gronkowski, but he doesn't be like, again, Tony, you're right. It's right. not the focus, which would really, I think, would actually kind of annoy people because right. then it's too much about the broadcast and not enough about the game. No, it flows right into the game. And it's funny about the about you saying a guy you'd want to watch a game with because it's, you know, everyone on TV also has the, – they have their TV persona and then there's their off-the-air persona. And, and this is not a knock or a negative in any way, shape, or form because that's how most people do it. But a guy like Aikman, for instance – to me, from what I've heard about Aikman off the air, he's a guy I would want to watch a game with in a bar. I've, I've heard nothing but great things about Troy. I've never met him, but I've heard nothing but great things about him. He's a great guy. I know everyone who works with him loves him. But on TV, he doesn't do the talk town thing, but he has a TV persona, whereas Romo, you, it, it's one Romo. You don't think there's two Romo. Like, Romo, when that mic is off, is probably the same exact way he is when the mic is on. No, and I think, and I think, and I, and I like Aikman too. I think he's very solid. I think Aikman would be the guy you're hanging with your friends, and he's sitting there, and he's probably not talking every five seconds. Right. Um, but when he said something, you're like, ooh, all right, what is Troy saying? And I think Roma would be the guy, he would be talking every five seconds, making, you know, laughing, jumping up, giving you high fives, and he's that type of personality. So it's different, not right. necessarily ones. I mean, I guess right now, you know, most are thinking Romo's better, but, but I mean, it's, it's different. And I think, 
Uh, I like, you know, Aikman and Buck, I think, is, is an excellent team to me. They, you know, add to the broadcast. And, and I know this is, this is very, I'm a positive person, but there's a negative kind of connotation upon it. I think the first rule of a broadcast is not to annoy the person watching. Right. And they don't do that. Again, again, that doesn't sound like a high bar, but you still want to be annoying people, in my opinion, where it's too much about what the announcers are saying or if they're not making sense, um, or if they're too talkative, um, or, you know, other things. Uh, that's the first rule that I feel like, uh, um, Buck and Aikman, you know, do not do that. And it is amazing. You mentioned Jim Nance. It is amazing what Romo has done for Nance because when Sims was doing those games with Nance, they would what what happens to um, Witten and Boger McFarlane and Tessitore this year on Twitter? Multiply that by about twenty, and that's what would happen to Nance and Sims when they were doing games there. So, uh, and I, I wrote this as well on Monday. I, I didn't see one tweet about Jim Nance Sunday night. Yeah, and I mean, CBS, um, you know, feels as if, you know, Nance has helped Romo a lot. I, yeah. you know, I think Romo's also helped Nance a lot um, because you're right, that team of Nance and Sims that kind of had its day. Uh, so, um, yeah, for Nance, this has been a great thing for his career. Yeah. So now let's get to the contract. You wrote uh, on Monday... In your report, Romo is making $4 million a year, contracts up after next season, and obviously uh, CBS wants to wrap them up. I assume, I mean, this is going to be a stupid question, I assume all this was in place before everyone was basically, you know, going nuts Sunday night about how great Romo was. This didn't just happen on Monday. This has been in the works for a while, or was this, or did CBS... Yeah, no, look, I've had this story, I have a list of stories that I'm always working on, and I was sort of saving this. I was gonna. I was planning on writing it uh, the week of Super Bowl. I'm going down to Atlanta, trying to capitalize on that SEO and and search and social traffic. Well, huh? you have when the iron's hot and the yeah. story's hot. Uh, yeah, I know how it works. Push it forward. I know how it um, works. So uh, it felt like you know, and I did more reporting on it and made some calls. And um, so let me first off say I wrote four million dollar rings, and let me just explain that. And maybe I should have done this further in the article. But he was at first doing Thursday night football and Sunday. So now he's below $4 million. With the Thursday night, from what I'm told, he was um, a little above $4 million. So that's why I wrote the $4 million range, because if you average it out over the two years, uh, they don't have Thursday night. So that's why the $4 million range, um, the way I wrote it, um, I did. Uh, and then um, to answer your question, yeah, I think you know, CBS is going to want to bring him back. He likes CBS. Uh, they did take a chance on him because to give him the number one job was risky. And uh, Sean McManus and David Burson, they, they made that move, um, which uh, took some, uh, to use Raftery's term, onions. Uh, and it's worked out very well for them. He and Jim Nance have a relationship dating back to their both shared love of golf that started when uh, Romo was a player. And so he likes, they, they both talk very highly of each other. So I think he likes it there. That said... I've been around athletes for a long time. Again, I don't know Tony Romo that well. He's made a lot of money. But athletes in general um, look at their value a lot of times of what that check says, and they want to get the fair market value. So I don't think he's going to stay for a discount. So if, if CBS uh, pays up, you know, they might be able to sign him without him looking around. But if not, um, I think it might be interesting. Now, I should have looked this up before I had you on, and hopefully you know the timeline of it. Because last week there was a report that 
ABC wants to maybe get in the NFL Sunday afternoon business. Yeah, I wrote that. Okay. When would that when, when would that happen if they wanted Yeah, to? I mean that's way off. I mean it's early I'm writing that. Um I'm saying would they be that, a player for but Romo? That would be 2022. Yeah, that's 2022. Okay. So they would, you know, we still have a long time. You know, those negotiations will, you know, start in the next year or two, but uh from what I'm told Disney um has really talked uh, strongly about going after either CBS or Fox's uh, Sunday package. You know, the NFL also could change up those packages uh, and maybe do something slightly different. I don't think they'd change it too much because right. they're so successful, but they could slightly do it differently to, to bring ABC in and maybe get a Super Bowl for ABC. Is You know, that, that's a possibility. But, uh, but yeah, if, if that were to happen, you know, if you're, a, if you're a Romo, at least at this point, you're thinking, well, I'd like to be a free agent then because then I'd really right. have um, another person involved. And, you know, and right now he's the guy. He's the guy. If there was a draft, all the networks would pick him number one. And so with his contract up, um, you know, those networks will think about it. There will be discussions in terms of, well, you know, how Romo could work for us. Let's play it out, though. Let's say, let's say Romo became a free agent. I mean, NBC is not going to blow out Collinsworth. And Fox most likely is not going to blow out Aikman, so that leaves ESPN with the with the rough Monday night booth. Uh, is there? Uh, could you see a scenario though with a with Fox or NBC? I think there's scenarios where you know things there's there's chairs that could be moved um, if they felt like it was the right um, it was the right move. Um, you know, so yeah, I don't think it's impossible. Wow. I mean, we're early. I mean, right now, nothing's going to change. Next year, Romo will be on CBS, uh, Collinsworth will be on NBC, and Aikman will be on Fox. Uh, but, you know, a year from now, could things change? I, I don't think it's I, – I, I just wouldn't eliminate anybody if it were me. I guess um, Fox could work something out now that they have that Thursday night package for four more seasons. Mm, that's good, Jimmy. Yeah. I'm thinking I was trying yeah. to save it without saying it, but yeah. yep, you got that. Yeah, uh, you got the Fox Thursday night. There's a lot of things you could do. Yeah, um, well, there's not a but, lot. Uh, there's not a lot. It's it's limited. Eh, there's some, there's some things you could do. I'll probably yeah. I, I don't want to give up. Whatever, I'm giving it away. I mean, you could move Aikman. Could go to studio. Um, there's things you could do. I'm uh, not saying that's definitely going to happen. I'm just saying those are things I, that could happen. I'm, I'm a fan of the Fox pregame show. I'm a fan of Buck and Aikman. The last thing. The Fox pregame show needs is another guy on the panel. Yeah, you have to look at the panel too. It's a little I, bit older. Yeah, but it's good. Well, it's, it's older, it's good. but they're doing well. The ratings are good. Yeah. But you know, I mean, look, there's older isn't bad. Familiarity is not bad, especially when it's guys like Howie Long, Terry Bradshaw, Jimmy. No, Johnson. you're right. I'm not yeah. look that they might not happen, but I'm just saying if if you want to be creative, it's, it's potentially it's there's there's, po- there's potential if, if yeah. you want to be creative especially when they have two more key days i thought it was thursday another interesting yeah. nugget from your story was that the, so the highest paid analyst ever for the nfl was john madden between seven and a half and eight million and gruden six and a half million uh, that's the biggest waste of money i've ever heard of in my life six and a half million for john I mean, there's gruden. Other people get, are there other highly paid people at espn who make a lot too yeah but Nobody watched Monday Night. There, John Gruden didn't bring one viewer to the joke. table. I mean, four hours every Monday of him telling that every player is wonderful for seven, six and a half million dollars. Woof. Um, all right, anything else about... Well, he got the big look. The money went up because they were trying to keep him coaching. Yeah. That's worked out well. Um, 
Anything else about Rome? So you not like John Gruden. I, I think he's one of the worst analysts I've ever heard in my life. I'll just okay. say that. Um, and, so, and then Romo with the Super Bowl. What what a I mean what a gift for CBS that they have it this year after what he did on I mean he's for an announcer to have that much praise for the championship game and then that network to have the Super Bowl they uh, they must be very 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 excited at CBS a lot, oh yeah they have a, a lot of champagne momentum. and dancing over there this week they got a huge rating yep uh, huge. on Sunday yep a lot of momentum I actually think it's a good matchup you know when you think of it the you know the legendary greatest coach of all time versus the you know, new kid on the block, coaching-wise. And then, you know, you got the Patriots who, even though a lot of us hate them, um, you have to watch. You know, I think I was telling somebody, I'm a Steeler fan, I think I root as strongly against the Patriots Patriots as I do for the Steelers now because you just want them to lose so badly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they're like the Yankees, you know, when the Yankees were in their prime. Right. Um, that's what the Patriots are like. All right, switching topics to something else you recently wrote about, which I was uh, very interested in. You said CBS has momentum right now. The NBA does not have momentum with their ratings. And you wrote a column last week, I, and I've been saying this. I said it when it happened, and I've said it all year. LeBron going to the Lakers is, was devastating for East Coast, non-diehard NBA fans, and it's sort of working out that way, right? Yeah, I mean, it's more Turner than ESPN. Uh, Turner's ratings, when I wrote it, were down 22%. That's a big number. Um, and then ESPN's were down 5%. Now, since then, ESPN's had a really couple of good ratings uh, games, and so they're getting closer to trying to get even. Um, and then, uh, so, so yeah, it's been more of a Turner story, but it is, I, I think, you know, largely a LeBron story. Um you know, your colleague Jacob Feldman, um, he had a good point about the Foxes having better games. Um, and so. Uh, Wait, what do you mean uh, Fox having better? They don't have the NBA. Fox, I'm sorry, Fox on Thursday night with football. Oh, oh okay. better games right, right. Turner. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think that was a good point. But, but I do think LeBron's the biggest thing because you're taking a team like the Lakers, who are already a marquee team, already going to draw, and now they're. Uh, now they have the best player who everyone wants to watch, but people were not watching as much as now. Maybe they want to watch the Lakers, but how much has improved their rating? And you take them off Cleveland, which nationally is a nothing team without LeBron, um, and you replace them with Toronto, Milwaukee. Even though you have the Greek freak in Milwaukee, right. still it's not um, for it doesn't resonate at least yet. And so, uh, yeah, I, I do think LeBron going west. Um, is not great for the NBA. And it, you know, this one to me is is very simple and very straightforward. Casual NBA fans on the East Coast are not going to stay up till one o'clock in the morning to watch LeBron James. It's just, it's just no, it's too late. Yeah, for regular can't do it. Game? I mean, I'm nope. not listen. I'm not like a diehard watch every single NBA game there is. But when LeBron was on the because I was a Knicks fan and you can't you haven't been able to watch the Knicks for 25 years. But w whenever LeBron James played on ESPN, TNT, NBA TV, whatever network, whenever the Cavs played, I watched the game. And now I can't, I just can't do it. I cannot, I can't, can't start watching a game at 1030 at night. So no, it's no, interesting. You can't. And yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of the NBA too. If you got an eight o'clock game, you're done by 1030. And so right. that was a perfect window uh, for the East Coast. And the other thing is, LeBron, we all know about lead-ins, and so when you have LeBron at eight o'clock, you have that beautiful lead-in into your ten thirty game. Right. And so maybe you get train of to watch for another hour. 
go to bed at 1130. It's frightening. You know, it, but you, it sounds like you've been in my bedroom at night because that's exactly what would happen. You'd watch LeBron from 8 to 1030, and then you'd watch the Warriors for the first half and fall asleep. I've not been. I just <laughs> close to your bedpost. But that's exactly, that's exactly how it worked. That's exactly well, how it worked. A um, couple of other things. What The ESPN Plus with the UFC – over half a million people signed up for that this weekend. That's I mean, we're going by what ESPN said, so I don't think they would lie. So I say, yeah, <laughs> that's unbelievable. I mean, that's impressive. I, I have to. I mean, I'm not a UFC person. You couldn't pay me to watch it, but that's impressive. It is a good number. I mean, I, I well, the look, the number that you have to look at though is the retention number. So you get a seven day trial when you sign up. Right, but the oh. whole scam with all these apps is that most pe- most people, the majority of people, don't cancel. They end up just getting billed, and they don't usually take care of it. Maybe rich people working in Sports Illustrated like you, but I don't, I don't have that app. Necessarily true. Yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I know. Look, out of out of half a million, do you think they'll be able to keep half? Yeah, I would think you're right. I definitely think they'll keep half. I think they'll keep three quarters, probably. All right. Well, maybe I don't know, but but the bottom line is, when people look at their bill a year from now. Are they still going to pay for it? Are they getting their, um, are they getting, do they feel like they're getting their money's worth? But the hardest thing to do is to get them to open the door and walk in. Right. And that's what UFC and ESPN were able to do at a very big number the other day. So that's an impressive number because if you don't go into the restaurant and eat the food, you're not going to ever come back. So now, you know, to get them, getting people inside, getting their credit card information, and then, um, you know, let, letting people experience it, and if they enjoy it, if you're a big fight fan, or if you like Serie A, so I was going to say the soccer, they right. They have soccer. Then you, yeah, too. then there's yeah. other stuff. Um, you know, it's cheaper than the zone. Here's the thing: at the end of the day, though, if you like all these things, I, you're going to be spending more money. Well, that's. Than, uh, than when you had cable. That's why I don't want to rehash it because we've been, I've been through it. I went through it with you too. That that Tiger Phil thing. Anyone who ordered that is a dope because you're just opening Pandora's box, and you know now you got to pay for ESPN. You got to pay for Bleacher Report. You know, and you already have your Netflix, your Hulu, your Prime, your this. Yeah, Disney's going to start a a streaming service. It's I, I'm I'm glad I'm old and I just have Directv and that's well. I mean, I have Netflix and obviously a couple other things, but my God, it's out of control. Um, all right, let's move on from the ESPN plus. I think, I think, I think more than 500,000, even if it's just sign up trial, whatever is it is a crazy impressive number. And, uh, you know, listen, they have the UFC and they have soccer. So at least you're getting something for your $5 a month there. I give them credit for that. They're not just giving you nothing. Um, I don't want to talk about Costas. You wrote about Costas. He's officially done with NBC. Anything you want to say about that? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. It's quite a, quite a question you asked there, Jimmy. Well, I'm just uh, saying. I, I mean, what's to say about it? it is well, I, I could say this. I'll say this. I'll say. I, I was surprised I so many you, picked up people picked up your column. I'm like, that wasn't really a great column by Marshan. I mean, does, I mean, does anyone really care? I mean, it's Bob Costas. He's maybe the <laughs> biggest, most famous, successful national sportscaster of all time. But he hasn't done anything there in years. Yeah, that's true. But it's an Thank official you. goodbye. Yeah. Uh, and then he's officially done. Uh, he got a lot of money, I think, and so it worked out for him for sure. 
But I think you could. Here's the thing. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with Jimmy, since you don't really want to talk about Bob. Is I'm just saying he hasn't I, done anything in a few years, so it's not sure. Like- but I think you could make the argument, though, all time. If you said all time uh, versatile, doing being a host, being a play-by-play guy, right? Um, he is maybe the most successful of all time. Okay. Um, host, play-by-play, most successful of all time. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. His greatest <laughs> moment, though, ever was on his HBO show when he did that interview with Vince McMahon. And, that is great. That and is Vince threatened one. to beat him up. That was still his best moment. That was tremendous. I mean, that he was worked great. that back. I'm surprised. I mean, he, he, he stood in there. And he went, definitely he, was, Bob did not flinch. I'll give him no. that. Bob did not flinch. But him and Vince were friends and... Um, oh, they were? Well, Bob was a big wrestling fan for a very long time. I think he even did one of the WrestleManias. And then Bob got turned off when the WWE went to the quote-unquote attitude era. And they sort of pushed the envelope with the sex and the language. And then Bob yeah. got turned off by that. Had um, Vince on his HBO show, showed Vince a clip where Vince makes one of the female wrestlers strip down to like a bronze panties and bark like a dog. And that's what set Vince off and where he threatened. Because Vince was like, well, you're showing it out of context. You didn't show how she gets her revenge on me. And I'm made to be embarrassed, blah, blah, blah. You're trying to set me up. And then they kept cutting each other off. And Vince threatened to basically beat the shit out of Bob Costas. Yeah. Great TV moment. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it sounds like <laughs> there's more. Con- it, it, sounds like, it sounds like there's more context yes. to it than we've been fine. Yes. I, mean. uh, I don't even know if you know about this story because it just happened this morning. Uh, CBS is... Well, it's the CBS and the NFL, I guess, are getting a lot of flack because they rejected uh, a Super Bowl commercial for a, a marijuana, I think, dispensary. We're not yeah, ready. I'm aware of it. We're not ready for marijuana commercials in America. Yeah, I don't see why you would reject that commercial. Who's making I mean, that decision, CBS or the NFL? I can't answer. I don't know. I mean, I, there's a conference call after this podcast that. Uh, probably, that question will probably be answered, but yes, I'm looking forward um, to that. I don't know. Uh, I do not know exactly who okay. makes that call. I'm sure it's a combination, uh, but uh, you know, maybe. But I, I don't know. That's speculation. All right. Last thing. Usually, we save this time to talk about a certain app, but we need to talk about something else. The Todd Gurley Photoshop. Mike Francesa thought it was real. Should we really be surprised? No, I think it's kind of sad, quite honestly. It really, colleague, yes, that's Mike Vaccaro wrote. You know, this is like Willie Mays in the outfield with the Mets. I, it's to me, it's kind of sad. I got um, I got four direct messages from media people on Twitter saying the same. Like, is you know, it's sad what it's become. It's yeah, it's sad. It's yeah. not like I mean, I don't really find it funny to you know, Mike and I have had a little history. I do know a lot of things about Mike. Um, who, you know, is dealing with other people and it's not impressive, you know, in terms of being a good guy. Now, other people have said, you know, I do also know other stories of people who um, talk about him having a big heart. Um, you know, that said, I mean, that type of thing, is it funny? Yes. You know, does the Internet love laughing at things? Yes. Um, and it is unbelievable in a lot of respects. But I also kind of find it, sad. you know, he's, a, well, here's, he's an older man. He's an right, older man. Right. And I don't know exactly, well, you know, um, it's just, it, I don't know. It, it's just not good. I mean, the, the the fact is though, and here's the thing: older, younger, he right. just can't like just come on and he has no humor to him. There's the that kind of, bingo, ding ding. Do yeah. we have a sound effect? Ding ding ding. That's 
That's see, that's the thing. It's sad, and that's why it keeps happening. Right. The whole thing, and that's why right. as a call, he's on the defensive. Right, am I getting cranked now because there's no humor to him, and it's just like it's like kind of being back in fourth grade. And if you get made fun of, if you kind of laugh with the kids, it kind of makes it go away. But if you try to fight it and you show it hurts you, then you're just going to get bullied. So it's kind of weird because he's kind of acts like the bully. But the second he kind of gets bullied, he kind of goes into this shell. And so if he had a little humor to himself and, you know, kind of said, oh, I got, I got fooled, you know, two things. Number one, it just would be better and might make it stop a little bit. And number two, it'd just be more of a human side. Um, and unfortunately, I don't know if uh, you'll see it, but, yeah, when I see that clip, you know, it's not – um, I think I'm in a different position too, as someone who covers him. You know, uh, I didn't really. I mentioned today Dan Lebertard was talking about it, but I don't know. It yeah, I have to sad, check that out. Honestly, well, I, see, that's my. I agree that it's sad. And I, first of all, I'm going to try to do this quickly because I'm going to wrap up. Um, Mike should Mike should sue CAA for making him join social media. Mike Francesa should never be on social media. Part of the mystique of Mike Francesa and what made him what he was was that he wasn't on social media. Then he goes on there. It's just not someone you want on there. And then I guess he saw the girly picture. And so that's problem number one. And like you said, the standalone video of him saying it's real is sad. But then when you see the follow-up video by Funhouse where Mike just brushes off his mistake, like, you know, I'm the, I'm the king and who cares if I messed up? That's, you said it way better than I did. That's when it becomes, it goes from sad to, well, that's why, People make fun of him and people pick out his mistakes because he can't say, oh, my God, I can't believe I messed this up. What a dope I am. I'm a, I, sh- I got to stay off Twitter. If he said that, people would laugh. But he does it with an attitude. And then here we are. Yeah. And also uh, Twitter, last quick thing, Twitter reveals, too. And the thing is about Twitter is that as Mike Francis has had a legendary career and deserves a lot of you know what he's accomplished in his career. Right. But what Twitter shows is that his thoughts, though, aren't really that much better than anybody else's. Right. And so when he's trying to give tweets all the time with, you know, during the game, you know, he says basically the most obvious things. Uh, and so it, you're right, it kind of hurts his mystique because he's just saying, like, yeah, yeah, we know, yeah, they, they need to stop the run here or right. whatever, you know, he says. Um, and so I think I agree with you. I think staying off Twitter, you know, would have been a smart move, but he had to build that app audience. There really is a fascinating story to be done. And you may have done a version of it. I don't quite remember, but there's a fascinating story to be done about how CBS, uh, Entercom and FAN don't shut down the Funhouse clips, which are clear copyright infractions or violations, and how those clips are what keeps Mike relevant. There's a, yep. there's a real juxtaposition there that would make for a fast... If Funhouse doesn't have they those clips... They did shut it down at one point, though. They did shut it down at one point. And right. They got it back up, and so... But if he doesn't have... If those up. clips aren't out there, no one's talking about Mike. No. It, that's true, but also, but I do think you're kind of um, overestimating a little bit the power of social media, like on ratings and all that kind of stuff. Well, no, but I'm not talking about ratings, but... Yeah, in the Twitter sphere, the yeah. one that we live in during the day, because yeah. we are reporters and not, don't have real jobs. Exactly. Yes, it keeps him in the um, spotlight. And and also, I don't know if you necessarily have to watch, listen to the show as much because, you know, Funhouse is going to deliver well, that's right. you the moment that you really want, and you don't really care how Mike's going to analyze the game. Right. I don't listen to not, the show. I see the Funhouse clips on Twitter, and I get caught up. Yep. All right. 
Thanks for coming on. Good, good job with the Romo story. Will you be down in Atlanta? I will. I will be oh, down don't tell Atlanta. me you're going to go to Radio Row. Oh, I mean, Andrew. Gonna, what do you mean? It's like, the go worst. On the show? It's the worst place in America. Stay away from Radio Row. Yeah, someone told me. Yeah, they, oh, they, they said it was like hell, but it is hell. Yeah, it's hell know. on earth. I've never covered a Super Bowl. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'll go down there. I'll be you better be careful if Mike's down there and you see him. Yeah, I know. I thought about that. Yeah, Bodyguard. If I see him, I'll probably. Oh yeah. I, well, I will probably say I probably say hello if I do see him. Be careful. Be careful. But my advice would be to not go to Radio Row. It's the, literally the worst place on the face of the earth. Why? Because it's five billion radio shows putting on the yeah. same thirty athletes who are pitching the most ridiculous products you can imagine. Here's Marcus Allen trying to sell you on Coke. Yeah, I don't think it's Here's, good radio. I agree with that. I don't think it's good radio. I don't it's think awful it's radio. Have, yeah, it's like a, it's good to make guy after yeah, guy. Yeah. All right. Well, you have fun in Atlanta, and uh, all right. Good luck, and uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jimmy. Take care. All right, good stuff there with Andrew Marchand of the New York Post. We got Alan Sepulwell coming up in one second, but first I need to tell you that this episode of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast is sponsored by Lightstream. The holiday season is over, and it's a brand new year. If you've been thinking about the credit cards you've used over the holidays, make this your New Year's resolution. With Lightstream, you can lower your interest rate and save with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. Get a low rate, low as 6.14 APR with AutoPay, and save thousands in interest. The rate is fixed, so as rates continue to rise, your rate will not budge. Get a loan anywhere from $5,000 to $100,000, and you can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. The application is 100% online, don't need to do anything else with paper, anything like that, and best of all, no fees. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a low rate and an easy process. I've been on the website, couldn't be easy to use. Very, very simple, easy navigation. You get your stuff done quickly with Lightstream. And even better, the SI Media Podcast listeners can save even more with an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash SI Media. That's lightstream.com slash SI Media, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash SI Media. Subject to credit approval, rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash SI Media for more information. And now, Alan Seppenwall on The Sopranos. All right, joining me now, and I'm, I'm very excited that this man has sort of become an SI Media podcast regular, third time on, and uh, the man knows all about The Sopranos, so we had to have him on because he has a book out, Alan Seppenwall. Alan, how are you? Uh, I'm good, Jimmy. Thanks for having me back. I got to say, the last time you were on, we did the Office Roundtable with Dan Harron, and the response to that was tremendous. Really, listeners uh, enjoyed it a lot, so I thank you for doing that. I just hope that Dan has actually found time to watch The Sopranos in the week since we did that. He has not responded to my taunts on Twitter, so I don't think he has. I think he's uh, maybe a little... I think he's gone into hiding about that. So, And plus, he said The King of Queens <laughs> is the third all-time best sitcom, so... If you guys have not heard that, it's in the archives. Check out. It was a few weeks ago. We did a little roundtable on The Office. Well, I wanted to do all Sopranos here, but since I did mention that, what, can you tell me anything about this Netflix Steve Carell show uh, that they announced? 
Well, it's him with Greg Daniels who created the American version of The Office and right. also co-created Parks and Rec and King, King of the Hill is one, and wrote for The Simpsons. He's one of the great comic writers in television of the last 20 years or so. So that's a really promising pedigree. I don't know much beyond that except that they're trying to make fun of the Space Force. Right. And, you know, who knows how timely that will feel by the time it actually, you know, gets made. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't bet against those two guys. So I should I should tell the listeners this to sort of get them excited i spoke to Carell last week on the phone it was i don't want to oversell it it was a 15 minute interview and we, we did talk a lot about the office he was very nice and i wrap up the interview with him we're running it next week and i get to my desk and in about five minutes later there's this announcement from netflix about a new show and i wanted to vomit because i was like could i have worse timing that this announcement comes out and i have him on the phone and wasn't able to ask him about it so that's the business. That's the business. That has happened to me many times, yeah. unfortunately. It's, it's, it's a helpless feeling. Yep. No, nothing to be done about it. All right. So you have this book out, The Soprano Sessions. How's the response been? I know you, I've seen your tweets. I guess it's sold out in a lot of yeah, places. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're doing this on Tuesday, and at the moment, it's not available basically right. at any bookstore in America, although it's going to be, it should be back in stock by like Thursday or Friday of this week. The publisher rushed out a second printing because response was so big. Wow. I don't even want to tell you the experience I had trying to get the book. Let's, let's just say the, uh, the, the staff at Barnes & Noble was not exactly up to snuff on what was going on. They, they sent me to the rack. They sent me to the, the – then they went in the back. They said it was here. It was in a box. It wasn't here. Come back next week. But don't worry about it. It's good that it sold out and we're on a, another printing. Um, are you? I, I, it's a dumb question, but I'll ask it. Are you surprised even a, a little teeny tiny bit at the reaction to the book and the show all these years later? Because it hasn't been on for a while. Well, I mean, Matt Zoller-Seitz, my co-author, was very smart when he came to me. He says, we have to do this and time it for the 20th anniversary. And so what happened was there was a lot of nostalgia about the show when the anniversary happened. Right. Matt wound up moderating this big reunion of the surviving cast and creative team uh, the day before the, the 20th anniversary happened. So there was just a lot of publicity and a lot of people talking about the show for the first time in forever. And, you know, we happen to be in the middle of that wave and we've gotten to ride it. And fortunately, people seem to like the book. So that's been gratifying. Yeah. HBO ran a marathon every single day. They ran an entire season. So it was on HBO two from, I think they did it from like noon to midnight, basically five days straight. And I thought of you so many times, like, my God, the timing for Alan here is tremendous on this. Because there were so many people on Twitter talking about the show again. So yeah, the- and I remember when we first started doing it, part of the impetus was, A, it's the anniversary, but part of it was also this sort of, you know, sad feeling that the show had fallen out of the conversation in a way that, you know, Breaking Bad and Mad Men and some of these other shows that followed it hadn't. And so it's been nice to see people talking about the show again and appreciating it in, you know, volume that we haven't heard in a long time. Right. Um you, you, I, I got to ask this because you said Matt did that panel interview. Is that on YouTube or anywhere to watch? I don't believe it was filmed. The, okay. the cast, because they were all coming together for that event that evening, uh, the Today Show brought the whole cast together and did a separate interview with them earlier in the day, yep. and that's online at a bunch of places. But I don't think that the event that Matt did was filmed. Okay. It was a lot of fun, and there was... There was like a dozen actors or a dozen people on stage and then almost as many actors in the audience. So suddenly he's calling on Mikey Palmese and he's calling on Johnny Sack <laughs> and, you know, Artie and Charmaine Bucco and all these people right. who would come because there was just so much love in the room for them. 
It's, I, I actually linked to that uh, Today Show reunion video um, in one of my columns last week. There's The Today Show, I think, posted like a, a five-minute clip, but there's a 42-minute full interview on YouTube, so people should check that out. Um, you have to be sick, I guess, of talking about the ending. Not at all. No? Not at all. Okay, so the hollow blue, I guess, was in the book. David Chase re- refers to that last scene as a, as a killing scene. No, here's what happened. Okay, break it down. Okay, we were in, this is sort of a classic Sopranos story, because you know how, like, everything on the Sopranos would always happen, like, either an episode before or a half a season after you expected it to? Right. So, we had seven interviews scheduled with Chase, and we figured, and we were going to go chronologically season by season, and we would save the finale discussion for the last one, because we didn't really have a game plan for how to try to get him to talk about it, because we know that he hates to do it. Right. So then, in the middle of the sixth interview, while we're talking about something else almost entirely, just sort of the, the more general idea of looking towards the end of the show, Chase, without even realizing what he's saying, just blurts out, well, you know, I had that death scene in mind for about two years before we did it. And he talks for another minute, and Matt says, David, you realize you said death scene? Right. And he realized what he said, and his eyes narrowed, and, you know, he cursed us out, and we all laughed about it for a good 30 seconds. And then he started talking, and what he clarified was, Death scene is not referring to what happens at Holston's, the ice cream parlor. Death scene was an idea he had back when Johnny Sack was still alive on the show. He was going to have Johnny Sack be leading the war against New Jersey, and like it would be going very badly for Tony, and he goes through the Lincoln Tunnel to a meeting with Johnny Sack, kind of hat in hand, to plea for peace. And the show ends with the car going through the tunnel in a, sort of a mirror of the original opening credit shot, with the implication being that, oh, he, he never came back. Gotcha. And he said, and I changed my mind. And then we talked for a good 45 minutes about the Holston scene itself and his intentions behind it and not. And so it's been frustrating but also not surprising because I'm a member of the media and I know how aggregation works mm-hmm. to see this sort of turned into everyone saying, oh, Chase inadvertently said that Tony died, which is not actually what happened. Right. Okay. Well, I'm glad you cleared it up. Because I thought it was he was referring to that Holston scene, so no, and it's, okay, good. no, it's, it's a, he was referring to a scene that he didn't shot, and if you want to like look at the Holston scene and say, "Oh, Tony died," that's <laughs> a completely reasonable take on the scene, right? You know, but the show is not nece- you know inherently telling you that's what happened or didn't happen. It's funny because I I I was after that last episode aired, I was on the Tony didn't die train, and then I read all this stuff, and then I became a Tony is dead guy. And then when I did rewatch it two weeks ago when HBO reran it, the guy in the members only jacket who goes in the bathroom never comes out. So yeah. n- now I'm back to Tony's alive. So I, it could go either way. I was big like Tony lives for a while, and then I sort of became Tony dies. And and after talking with Chase about it for a while, I feel like it's more just you know, to- like this could be the moment of Tony's death, but this could be the moment of anybody's death. Like life is sadly a temporary condition and it could go away at any moment. And that's what the scene is trying to make you feel whether or not you believe that he actually goes then and there. Now, did you see the theory that was offered by um, an ESPN reporter, TJ Quinn, he's their investigative reporter um, who broke down that final episode and final scene and came out with the resolution that it wasn't Tony who died. It was it was David Chase killing the audience. I mean, that's Matt had been using that phrase. David Chase whacked a viewer, you know, twelve years ago, right after the finale aired. So that's one I'd heard before. That's also, I think, a reasonable one. I think the idea again, the scene is about death, whether or not 
Tony dies, whether or not Meadow dies, whether or not the audience dies, it's just, it's sort of, it's there to remind you of the fragility of life, and particularly for somebody in as dramatic a position as a Tony Soprano would be. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I can't see, I mean, here's David Chase doing the greatest show in the history of television. He's going to, because he's frustrated that the audience wants whacking instead of psychiatry scenes, he's going to make the whole final scene a killing the audience it'd it, be a little i mean be a little strange yeah i i don't know that there's any one particular answer that you can look at and say oh it has to be that i think the, the themes are more interesting than the actual trying to solve the mystery because i don't think it was intended as a as a puzzle to be solved yeah one thing i never knew about that final scene i think this was in the today show interview and maybe it came from your book you you can tell me was that jamie lynn sigler filmed her parallel parking debacle on a totally separate day than the scene inside the diner was filmed. She she said that, you know, inside the diner is Tony and Carmela and AJ, and she never even saw them that day. She did her stuff a, a totally different day. Uh, that didn't come up in the book, but that's okay. something that makes sense just based on how TV production works. Yeah. Because, you know, filming inside Holston's, which Matt and I wound up doing oddly enough to make this weird documentary about the making of the book. Um, <laughs> it, it, like that takes a whole day just to set the cameras and stuff up out there. And, you know, her trying to park on Bloomfield, uh, <laughs> you know, Broad Street in Bloomfield, that would have been something that the second unit did on a different day, for sure. Now, when you were, wa w w did you watch any of the episodes when HBO was doing the marathon or were you already... You, I mean, you've probably watched it so many times. You wrote a book about it, or do you still get drawn in and you watch it when it's on when you flip on the channels? I did not watch it when they were doing the marathon. But the funny thing is, my wife, who you know, most of the Sopranos aired before we had kids, and so she watched that show with me. She watched all of these kind of you know dark dramas with me. And as soon as we became parents, it was like a switch flipped, and she had no taste for it anymore. <laughs> um, and you know, and she also just doesn't have as much time to watch TV as she used to. And while I was in New York City the week of the, the book launched, she kept sending me these texts like, God darn it, I've been sucked in <laughs> to watching the pilot. It's yeah. so good. And, she, you know, suddenly she's doing a Sopranos rewatch involuntarily. I love yeah. it. They they started that marathon, I think, the, I think the day before. But it was the, the second day of the marathon was the NFL playoffs. It was the Colts, Chiefs. And, um, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I got to watch this football game here for, you know, my job. And I was... So glad that that game became a blowout because then I was able to go back to the marathon, even though I've seen them all. Just when it's on TV like that, you just have to, you have to watch it. it it's it's very absorbing, and that was definitely by far the thing I was most worried about when we started doing the book, and the thing that was ultimately ultimately the most satisfying was I, I said, "Is the show going to hold up when we go right. back and watch it, or have we agreed to write a book about this thing that should be a historical footnote now?" And no, it was great. It, it was almost better in a lot of ways than it was when we watched it originally. And, and that's one of the amazing things about the show is that it does hold up 100%. But in rewatching it, you forget how long ago it was. And there are some hysterically funny mentions of things that people today can't even relate to. Specifically, I remember one thing where um, Carmela's using the laptop. I think she maybe was doing her real estate nonsense or something like that. And AJ comes down the steps and he's like, are you still online? I need to get online. I mean, remember the days of, you know, yes. AOL dial-up where only one person in the house could be on the computer. I mean, that's a long time ago. Yep. It's good. Yes, that was a long time ago. Just the, in general, the having to use pay phones and other things. 
there, there's an early episode where Tony comes into the back office of either the strip club or the pork store and sees someone on a computer's like, turn that off. Those cookies make me nervous. Yes, yes, yes. Nice. I remember that too. One, you know, one thing I was thinking about too and rewatching it, I mean, I, I'd love your take on this. They, after Nancy Marchand died, they did a few episodes with her using CGI. They did one episode with her using CGI. Okay, one episode. I feel like if this was today, they would get absolutely annihilated for that on Twitter. They got annihilated for it at the time. It, it didn't look good. And every yeah. single shot in that scene, she has a different hairstyle because they had to cull it from so many different sources to cobble it together. And Chase has apologized. Like, you know, when we talked to him about it for the book, he said, I wouldn't do that now. Although the funny thing right. is, uh, the technology is so much better now that you could do it. You know, you look at <laughs> yeah. You know, Rogue One, they brought Peter Cushing back to life, you right. know, to play Grand Moff Tarkin. So it, it could have been done better now. But the funny thing is, if you go back and you rewatch the end of season two, the episode where Janice kills Richie. My favorite. Uh, it, it has the first real interaction Tony and his mom have had all that season. Right. Because they're on the outs because she tried to have him whacked. And the scene that they have together at her house is just stupendous. Yes. And if that had been the last scene they shared together, it would have been a perfect goodbye and, you know, maybe he could have just showed a clip of that or something in the episode where Olivia dies. Um, you know, he, the guy's very, very talented, but not every idea is going to be a winner. Could not agree with you more. That scene was phenomenal. I guess they made, I guess what happened was they, I guess they pinned themselves in the corner, though, because of the bus tickets, right? With her, with her. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he gives her the illegal plane tickets from the Scatino bus down. Right. But, you know, they. But they killed her off. They didn't need to, that didn't really need to be dealt with again. He did that scene entirely because he felt like he wanted to give the audience one more taste of Livia right. before they announced that she was dead. Yeah. It's just crazy that the greatest show of all time did one of the worst things you'll ever see. I mean, like you said, it just looked so... It, the intent was fine and the storyline, it just it looked really bad. That was the... Yeah, no, it, it, it did. And it was awkward because they were just sort of trying to marry the conversation to things that she had already said on the show. And it looks... It's it's just ridiculous to watch now. Is there as great a, as that character in that relationship was? Yeah. Is there a character? You said you didn't rewatch the marathon. When was the last time you watched the series in full? I guess while right? while doing the book, I yeah. rewatched every episode. So like a year ago, a year ago. About that, yeah. It is is there a character that you had a different appreciation for when you rewatched it last year, or even writing the book and and talking to people about the show this year? Melfi. Yeah. Which is yeah. a funny thing to say, because she's one of the most important characters on the show. But I often found, in the original run, I thought Lorraine Bracco was often really kind of stiff. Mm -hmm. And I went back, and you watch it now, and she's really not. And in the occasions when she is, it's because Melfi is uncomfortable, not because Lorraine is uncomfortable. There's a lot of scenes in therapy where she's trying very hard to sort of hold in her disdain for the things that she knows, or at least understands, about this patient of hers. Uh, and so she gets a little bit more formal. She gets a little more arch. You know, she's not using contractions, things like that. And so I, th I think it actually really plays quite well and a lot better than I realized at the time yeah. um, this time around. And it's it's funny because obviously fans of the show, they, they're, they're hung up on the Melfi rape where she does not go to Tony to have Tony take care of the guy. Yeah. Uh, what I, re-watching it, what I found myself wishing there was way more of with Melfi were more scenes with her, with Tony and Carmella. 
I thought those scenes were phenomenal when Carmella joined Tony in therapy. Yeah, those are really good. And I, we, we talked to Chase about that a little bit, and I wondered why they didn't do more of it. And he said basically because Melfi wasn't a couples therapist, and if they had kept that going, it, it would have changed the relationship. Carmella was just brought in to help Melfi be- better understand Tony a little bit. But right. I agree. Those scenes from the third season were really, really sharp. Yeah. It, it, I, wanna, I always thought it has to be weird for Lorraine, Lorraine Bracco because she's part of this phenomenal ensemble, which really only deals with one person. Yeah, and I, it, it, that, that was always the one thing I wanted to talk to her about. I don't think I ever interviewed her during the run of the show, mm-hmm. but, but like she's on the show. She basically only interacts with Gandolfini. She had a few scenes here and there with Edie Falco. And that's about it. And yet there's this cast of like, you know, two, three dozen people counting recurring characters who are there all the time. And, you know, how well did she even know them? Yeah. Another thing I found interesting rewatching it, uh, a character like Vito, who ended up becoming a big player later in the years with the storyline where, you know, he's gay, Finn catches him. But he's in so many episodes before that. It's just this like little player uh, there was something I think with a landscaping company and he's getting in a fight with, with Paulie or something like that. Do you know if that's chase, like seeing him in those earlier episodes and thinking, Oh, there's something there. Let's build this guy up. Or uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit sort of war of attrition. Although the funny thing is, you know, that actor, Joe Canascoli in the very first season, remember there's an episode where Christopher is like upset that he's not getting enough attention mm-hmm. as a member of the mob and he shoots a guy in the foot at the bakery as kind of a mirror of what happened to him in Goodfellas? Yes, yes, yes. Joe Ganascoli plays a customer at the bakery who like leaves right as Christopher comes in and Christopher tells everybody to get out. And he's not playing a wise guy there. But as Chase told us, like, we were starting to run out of Italians and he had liked Ganascoli and so he hired yeah. him to play a member of the Richie April crew. And then he just hung around, and they'd killed off a number of other people, and it just sort of made sense since Vito knew construction to put him in charge of construction for that crew. And then they started writing more and more to him, and then Ganascoli came to them one day with the idea of, like, what if Vito was gay? Uh, and it was, like, literally the only time an actor came to them <laughs> with a story pitch for their character. And oh, wow. came to them with an idea that they liked, and they did it, and so he became pretty prominent those last couple of years. Yeah. And the, sort of, the same thing sort of happened, I think, with, with Bobby Bacala, you know, he was there a little bit here and there. Then he became Junior's uh, nurse, basically. And, and then he ended up, obviously, with... Uh, he, he was a huge part of the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. is there, there was a while there where they kept introducing, like, new people. And I think after a certain point, they realized, no, we've got enough here. We don't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, he was... I thought he was, he was really good. He was really, really good when you watch, watch it back. Just... Uh, he could sort of play everything after his, you know, the Bobby's wife dies and, and he's married to Janice, but his scenes with, I mean, his scenes, the, the Bobby uncle junior scenes are comedy gold. Oh, they're brilliant. The scene where, where junior is starting to slip into dementia yeah. and he sees an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm on the TV. He's like, what are me and Bobby doing on TV? I, I remember watching that when it, it first aired and not being able to stop laughing. I had tears in my eyes. It's perfect. Yeah. It's so perfect. Yeah. Uh, Junior really did have the best one-liners on that show when it comes yeah, and, down and to it. Chase even said, like, the re- like ordinarily, Tony probably would have killed the guy, but the writers enjoyed writing for Junior so much, he was probably their favorite character to write for. I have to say, I don't, I don't have many complaints about the show. I probably don't have any except for one, and, and you hate to be like a negative Nelly here and just give a complaint, but it is TV, so there's always... I, I hated when they gave Junior the, the Alzheimer's, because I just thought it took it took that character sort of out of the show. 
But it ended up with him shooting Tony, which I guess was a big thing. But I, I, I just, I wish they would have had him. I well, felt I like think he. If you go back, he he starts to get pretty marginalized even before the Alzheimer's comes in, and it does lead to a few great episodes, like the one where he goes walk about Newark, yeah. and then the last scene of the show before they go to the ice cream parlor is Tony finally visiting him, you know, at at the mental hospital, and it's so sad, and it's so like this. Uh, amazing father-son moment, yeah. even though you know they're uncle and nephew. And, and, and on that Today Show interview, we mentioned Dominic Cheney's talks about that scene, and, and he can't even hold it together talking about it. He he, he breaks down um, talking about no, that. It's, it's great, and obviously, and you know, every every moment on the show is a little bit more fraught to consider now because Jim's not with us anymore. Yeah. Well, I appreciate. Uh, Reminiscing here about the show, the book is The Soprano Sessions, and people will learn things about the show in this book that they did not know. I mean, it's something like The Soprano, Seinfeld, people think you know everything you don't. And I thought I knew everything, yeah. and Chase surprised me a bunch of times, besides yeah. talking about the anim- ending. And uh, as Alan said, b- bear with it, you can get the book, just might take a little yeah, bit of time. If, and if you pre-order it now, you will be first in line, and it should be back in stores within a couple days, so... Start asking by this weekend, uh, you can get a copy. And, what, and if you are on Amazon now, you'll get you'll get it in a couple of days. Yes. Okay. Should perfect. Be. Perfect. Uh, are, right. How are you holding up with all the media stuff here? You've been doing a lot of media. Is it- I'm good. I definitely yeah. have a greater appreciation for when actors or athletes, you know, have to do the rounds at yeah. a big event because you get the same questions a lot and you right. learn to polish the answers. And then when you get asked something that you have not been asked before. You almost have to lean back on the, oh, that's a good question reflex, because that lets you stall for time. It's always funny when the media person has to do the media tour. Yep, I'm through the looking glass here. All right, well, I uh, appreciate it, and um, good luck with the book. Uh, The show is great, so the book is great as well. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Alan. Take care. Take care. Okay. All right, that was a fun episode there, a little media, a little Sopranos. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. My thanks to Andrew Marshand and Alan Seppenwall. Next week on the SI Media Podcast, you'll hear my 15-minute conversation with Steve Carell. We did talk about The Office. So if you're not a subscriber, go and subscribe so you get that podcast delivered to your device as soon as it is live for your listening pleasure. Uh, also interviews in the archive with Luke, uh, Luke Walton. Look at that. Bill Walton. I got the Lakers on my mind because I talked to Andrew about LeBron. Bill Walton last week. We had Joe Buck and Jim Ross the week before. And like I said, next week, Steve Carell. So subscribe to the SI Media Podcast. That wraps up this edition. And I'll see you next week. Take care. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.